All right, welcome back everybody. My next guest is the author. Oh, wow, what a way to start out. <laughs> My next guest is the author of Social Media's Bullshit, as well as Privacy and How to Get It Back. He is also a keynote speaker and comic book artist. Please welcome BJ Mendelson. BJ, Hi. welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Comic book writer. Uh, What's I, that? Wish, I wish I could draw. Uh, comic book writer. Yeah, like, oh, comic book writer. Sorry. Yeah, uh, if, I, if I was drawing my comics, it would just be sticks. <laughs> there would be anything there. Well, KCXD uh, has made quite the quite the life off of uh, Stickman. So, and uh, as of today, I did, they're taking pre-orders for. He has a self-help book coming out. Oh, yeah. So I saw that, and I was like, "This guy's made an entire career off of stick figures, and I, I love it. I, I'm very envious of him." Absolutely, and now I got to go look up his book after we're done here because I totally didn't know that was coming. Out. <laughs> I found I found this wholly by accident. It was just one of those things because um, I ghostwrite, and so I'm working on a book right now for someone, and um, I, I can't say what what it is, but uh, it's it's in the self help area, and so Amazon, you know, does the thing where if you like mm -hmm. this, and that was the first thing that came up was like Randall Monroe, and like, wait, is that the XKCD guy? He's writing a book, so yeah, it's a it's a self help book. It's called How to. Uh, Randall, you can send me money for plugging your, your <laughs> book on his podcast, and uh, I, I'm sure it'll be great. I can't wait to read it. Yeah, that's. Uh, I think the the Dilbert guy did did a book or a couple of yes, articles too. That was good. awesome. Um, it, was it like stop monkeying around, monkey brain? That that's it's something. It's got some weird title. Really um, fun title. Yeah, but it's very good. Is I have both the audiobook and in print. Uh, I highly recommend that self-help book for, for anyone that, that's in that genre. Absolutely. Well, he, he he's a great writer, and I uh, I love the comics, so uh have yeah. to check it out, right? So anyway, we are here to talk about you today, or talk <laughs> with you anyway. So um, let, let's chat a little bit. Uh, how, how did you get into uh, writing originally? Like uh, your, your first book there with the social media is bullshit. How did you get into that? Uh, well, so just one thing real quick is I'm always big on talking about other people. <laughs> that's always my thing. It's just uh, like how, how can I deflect this and then just praise like like I do that uh, on Twitter quite a bit with my like my jokes, uh, where I'll be like, oh yeah, you know, Kevin Smith has got this great thing, and I'll just go on like a whole thing and and, direct, and so uh, I could be a little tricky like that. Um, there's a there, I mean, there's a long answer, but you know, where social media's bullshit came from was essentially I had done uh, a lot of marketing work since I was 18 years old. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I was one of those people who just stumbled into what we now call viral marketing, which is really just word of mouth marketing, like with a dumb new branding to it. And uh, so I had companies like Sears back when Sears was a thing. Uh, and Ogilvy, <laughs> now that you remember Sears. I do, uh, and I miss it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, I had, I was one of those people that just fell ass backwards into like this word of mouth marketing thing. And, you know, I was really fascinated by all of a sudden they were now calling it social media. Like they were describing yeah. stuff that I had already known since like the early 2000s, um, just in a different way. So I was like, all right, well, let's play around with this. Let's see what we can do. So I designed, uh, I, it was going to go and travel across America, hitchhike uh, solely through Twitter. Because uh, I said, you know what, this is, the whole idea, you have to keep in mind, this is like 2008, 2009. So like, this yeah. is the height of like Twitter mania and everyone's like, oh, look at all the cool things you can do with social media. So I'm like, all right, let's see, let's see what we can do. So uh, my, my ex-wife says, the hell with that. I'm coming with you. 
And so we do this cross-country tour. It was meant to like promote the early detection, prevention of breast cancer. And a funny thing happens. Hang on one second, I'm just gonna get some water here. Twitter used to promote my account. Like if you look right now, the at BJ Mendelssohn account is 11 years old, but uh, so it's been there almost since the beginning. There was actually an account before that. And throughout Twitter's early history, they used to promote my account. Uh, first, it was a little thing on the sidebar back in like, this, I'm showing how old I am. Uh, <laughs> back in like 2007, when Twitter had first kind of opened up publicly, uh, there was like a grid on, on the right. And then I was always there because it was like, hey, BJ's a funny guy. Uh, you should follow him. And so uh, we were doing this tour and I pop up on this list and it's like 28 celebrities. And then you get to the very bottom and then it's me. It's like my <laughs> stupid face. And so my ex-wife and I were like, wow, um, there's almost a million people now following the Epi Jim Mendelssohn account from this list. Uh, because I don't know if you remember the, the suggested user list, but Twitter made it so that you had to follow those people. Like if you create a new account, you automatically followed all 28 people. And so we were like, oh, wow, okay. Let's see if social media can do what, what we say it does. And so uh, we go and we're in Raleigh, North Carolina. It's like our third stop. And we're like, all right, we're going to do a fundraiser, like a Twitter-thon. And it's going to be us streaming and Raleigh and trying to get people to donate all these millions of followers. And my account was like featured that same day on like CNN. Nice. So we're thinking, all right, you know, like uh, how much money do you want to think we raised? I'd say 10, 20,000. Lower. Nope. Lower. 5,000? Lower. 1,000? Even lower. What? A single dollar. One. One dollar? Yes. And so we were kind of sitting there going, okay, wait a second here. My account at that point was like the fourth or fifth most followed account. It was like CNN, Ashton Kutcher, Oprah Winfrey, and me. And then behind me was Sockington. Uh, and I don't know if Sockington is still a thing or not. But like, so yeah. we were kind of like, all right, something's, that seems weird, right? Like, shouldn't, you know, isn't that the whole point of social media? So we're like, all right, let's let's wait. And let's try this again. So we, we go, we continue our tour. But we know this is other thing that's happening. And, and we're, what we're doing is on Twitter, we're saying, you can come out and meet us. And, uh, you know, like, we'll talk, you know, we, we'll just hang out. You'll get to be as, uh, like, no one was coming out. And you have to keep in mind, this isn't one, this wasn't like some fly-by-night thing. Like, this is something that was covered in every major newspaper as we were traveling. Yeah. Like, had a thing on us, like, the Florida Sun Sentinel had this whole thing on, uh, on myself and Amanda as we were. So it wasn't like just complete strangers. It was like, oh, they're traveling across America to promote early detection, prevention of breast cancer. So the tour just turns into like this other, uh, can I swear? Are we allowed to swear on this? Absolutely. Uh, it, it turns into this like other shit show because the entire premise was you, if you have a million people following you on Twitter, then you should be able to make anything happen. Yeah. Right. Like in theory. So uh, we get back and I'm like, all right, let's try this again, but let's do it in the way that I know works. Like back from when I was doing the viral marketing stuff. So uh, I hooked up with a not-for-profit called Wounded Warrior Family Support, WWFS, uh, not to be confused with Wounded Warrior Project. And uh, the colonel there, he's a former Marine Corps colonel, he had called me up and was like, yo, I was reading about this breast cancer tour. Could you do that for me? So that's sort of what spurred this. I said, okay, but here's what we're going to do. 
we're going to put you in a custom-wrapped Shelby Mustang that's like red, white, and blue. You're going to travel across America, and here's the, here's the clincher. People can come, and they can sign the Mustang to thank the troops. So they'll come out. You'll give them a high five. Uh, so this goes on to be a big success. They still do this to this day. Like, you can look up highfivetour.com. Like, it's in its... Uh, this is going back to like 2010, so it's almost a decade now that they've been doing it. Uh, they raised over a billion dollars. He set the world record undocumented, but he did set the world record. I'll, I'll tell you undocumented why I say that in a second. Uh, he set the world record for most high fives given at the Philadelphia Independence Day Parade. The reason why it's not in Guinness World Record is you have to pay Guinness. Of People course. don't realize that. Like You have to pay an adjudicator from Guinness to come there to sign off. So even though we know factually he set the record, like Guinness wouldn't put it in unless you paid him like $3,000. And the Colonel being a Marine Corps Colonel, when he was told that was like, fuck that. I'm, I'm not, I'm not doing that. Yeah. Uh, so the tour goes on and it's like a huge success. And I took a step back and I was like, okay, clearly like there, there's some kind of disconnect here between what, and again, it, this is 20, 2009, 2010, 2011, mm -hmm. what we're saying social media can do and what it, what it can't do and so that's what led to the book i mean that that's the abbreviated version of it but that's what happened uh, that's an awesome story and if you really want to show age um believe it or not i was actually a beta tester for twitter there you go so you, I remember, had, you remember the old days i do and i had one of the first 1000 accounts and i was one of those stupid people that i'm like i, I don't get it like, <laughs> it was so new and there was pretty much there was like a thousand people on there right so i'm yeah, just like you know there's funny. nothing to do so i left and i lost my account i'm like everyone they called it the empty timeline problem like yeah cause, yeah because it was like okay i'm here what do i do which is what resulted in the suggested user list that i was on like that was their solution was all right well here's this collection of celebrities and media outlets uh, and this dorky looking guy at the very bottom, don't mind him. Uh, and, you know, we're going to fill your timeline for one. So that, I mean, that was a very common thing was, you know, I don't know what to do with this. So why do I have it? Yeah. And that's pretty much the, the entire experience that I had, but <laughs> it gave me, um, once it started taking off and I was kicking myself in the butt for not having, you know, account number under 1000 and, you know, I probably could have turned around and sold it for a bunch of money to, to some crazy person. But um, the, the biggest thing it taught me was how to better evaluate software for business cases um, right. because I had not considered that as any kind of possibility back then. And having been in web and tech for, for so long, it's like, wow, I like that. I really need to, to change my viewpoint on new technologies. And that helped me a whole lot through my career when I was in IT, got my foot stuck in the wrong door, but that that experience helped a ton going forward. And I've helped implement all sorts of different solutions for, for companies of all different sizes because of it. Awesome. And I, I never would have done it without Twitter. Right. <laughs> so there you go. So yeah, you know, I, I make fun of the service even to this day, but uh, I love it. Like it's to me, it's kind of, if you're a writer or you're a media junkie or even a comedian, it's the perfect format. Absolutely. Uh, because especially when you're writing jokes, uh, the first thing they teach you is you have to cut as much fat as possible yeah. from the joke to make it work. And so if you only have 280 characters back, that you know, was 140 not too long ago, 
Uh, for, back you know, in my day. Yeah, back in my <laughs> day, it was 140 characters. Uh, you had to cut relentlessly, and it was just yeah. a great writing tool. So it, to me, it's my it's always been my favorite. Yeah, and I find it funny because um, a lot of the funniest stuff that you see come up on Facebook is screenshots of yeah, Twitter right, posts. That's right. So it's like, like that's got to be getting Facebook's goat like a yeah. lot. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you can say that Facebook is just um, a collection of stuff stolen from other places. Yeah, pretty pretty much. Yeah, uh, with with new tags putting on it. Right. <laughs> so uh, after that uh, initial tour kind of kind of blew up there, um, did, did that obviously that didn't detract from from what you were wanting to do in, in the future, and you ended up with a book out of it. So yeah, how, how did you end up getting the book deal from from that? Oh, so the <laughs> uh, the book. Okay, so here's what I tell people: the book. I didn't originally set out to write social media as bullshit. What had happened was I, uh, not unlike what I'm doing right now over at bjmendelson.com where I'm rewriting Char uh, Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol uh, and publishing like new updates to it on my site. Uh, almost 10 years ago, I was doing the same with, with Bram Stoker's Dracula. And uh, it was called uh, Dracula and Kittens and it was just like this ridiculous, stupid thing. Uh, playing up with things like, you know, because vampires have to be invited in. So I would take the scenes. Like, so there's a scene where Harker comes to the door and Dracula opens the door. And then Dracula, and this is in the original book, freezes like like this. And Harker just kind of walks in in the original book and doesn't stop and play with that. But in, in my version, I, I, you know, I took that whole scene and I was like, are you okay? Did you have a stroke? And you know, and Jack is like, just get the fuck in here. Like, like they have like this. So that's what I was doing. Was the you know, I was taking it, but I was I was writing jokes. And so this agent out of the blue contacts me. Uh, still my agent to this day. He's like, this is really funny. Uh, we should meet. So uh, I'm still in Glens Falls at the time. I get on the train. Uh, at the good old Amtrak. I take Amtrak to New York City. Uh, I go into his office and we're talking and he's like, you know, the, the Dracula stuff is funny. Um, but what else do you got? And I'll just, I blurted out to him. Social media is bullshit. Like it was just, it wasn't a planned thing. It was just completely off. It's sort of like the Matt grading story with the Simpsons yeah, where, you know, he was going to pitch them one thing and then they had no interest in it. So he was like, Oh, I got this other thing. And you know, here's some doodles I was doing while I was waiting. And that's, that's where the Simpsons came from. Uh, it, it's almost like the exact same thing where I was like, all right, well, social media is bullshit. He goes, that's a book. And so I told him what I told you about the tour uh, and about some of my other early experiences. And he's like, okay, that's, that's what we do. So the book, the book sold real fast. Um, it took forever to do the proposal, but then uh, the second it went out to publishers, St. Martin's Press snapped it up and, uh, and that's how the first book happened. That's such an awesome story and like you said you never know what's going to happen when you go in to pitch one thing and they don't like it right so that's uh yo tina fey i can't remember the quote but she says something like you know be ready like that's sort of the life lesson that she, she gives everyone is be ready like you know if you you don't know if you're randomly going to meet an agent and some of that uh and then if they're like hey send me something you have to send them something right away otherwise they're going to forget about you so she's like that's why you've always got something ready. You've always got like a spec script or a book proposal or something at the ready. Uh, and that's that that was the case here where you know the social media's bullshit thing had been in my head for about a good two years. 
at that point. So it wasn't, you know, even though I said social media is bullshit, off the top of my head, the book itself was something that I had ready to, to pitch. Yeah. I think that that's really important for people to learn. Uh, ab absolutely. Um, uh, another thing that uh, one of my big favorite things is just ask. Yeah. Why? Because you never know what somebody's going to say. I have gotten right. so much free stuff and discounts and access to places that I probably shouldn't have simply because I asked. Right. I mean, I think that <laughs> I think we're they call it the tall poppy syndrome overseas. I don't know what the United States calls it. I don't know what's called in Canada, but basically it's just that no one wants to be first. Yeah. Yeah. Like we're always looking and to see what other humans are doing. And so that's why a lot of us don't ask these questions. And that's why it's important to do so because so few of us actually make that effort because the rest of us are programmed not to stick our head out. Otherwise, someone's going to chop you down or, or make fun of you. We don't want to look stupid. So, You're going yeah. to fail. You're afraid of that failure. Exactly. And that's the... Actually, um, this podcast would have come out two years sooner had I not needed to overcome that myself. Um, it, it initially came from I, I was at a conference, and you know, you go to a conference with a bunch of creative people. It was a it was a graphic design conference, and the next thing you know, you're in all sorts of conversations, and then you blurt out your idea, and everyone's like, "You gotta do that! That's awesome!" And then you're like, "Should I? Should I?" And then you spend two years humming and on over it, and then you put it out. <laughs> but it's I think. The time is valuable, though. I think that that's so. That's sort of the flip side, right? Like it's it's good to have the idea, but it's better to have it completely fleshed out. Like, and I'll give you an example of that uh, for about a year now, I've had this running joke with Melissa Fumero from Brooklyn Ninety Nine um, on Twitter, where I, it just was one of those things where I was like, you know, they have all these Marvel shows, but we don't have a Law and Order style show starring She Hulk. And <laughs> I think that, that would be awesome. Exactly. Right. Like that's one of those ideas that you hear and you're like, let's do it. And it started as a joke. And like I tagged her on Twitter and she's like, oh, this is fucking awesome. And so it's been a running joke for about a year now. But in that ensuing time, I've actually been able to like put that show together. And you know, like there's character sheets and there's a Bible of what happened, you know, the show Bible they call it, of yeah. what happens within the show. And so now if I come across a entertainment agent, I have that at the ready. So I think and the time they important. want. Yeah, I so I think like you know when you talk about two years between saying the podcast and starting the podcast, I think because there's so many podcasts, it's worth taking that time. Yeah, and really thinking it out and going, okay, well, how would this actually work if I were to do it? And that time is valuable. Yes, absolutely. I actually, um, I, I had a incredibly popular vodcast back when vodcasting had just come out and Apple had just started letting people do video podcasting online. Um, I actually, when I was in IT, I was, my foot was stuck in the wrong door in the TV and film industry. I wanted to be a director <laughs> and obviously did not end up there. But one of the things that we did there was this little interstitial show called The Movie Review. And it was awesome because it was a stand-up comic that was doing it and he rated them with big giant heads. And you could see it almost all across Canada, anywhere where Shaw was located, they had the Shaw channel. And every 20 minutes, the, the movie review would come on. So I'm like, I can put this online. By the time I left, they were getting over a million downloads every uh, every two weeks of, of the new movie reviews that were posted. And like that, it just, it went nuts. And one of the things that I learned in 
working there for so long is you'll do your pitch sheets and you'll pitch something and then you pitch a hundred ideas and they only want one of them. But the problem is right. if you don't have more than that pitch sheet worked out, <laughs> chances are they're not going to take it because like you said, they want something right away. Okay. We're interested in this. How does it continue? Right. How do we do it? I don't know. I've just got the idea. <laughs> and that's, I mean, I think that's true for a lot of people. I, I think that that's, the thing I see today with with podcasts in particular, I mean, they've been around for over a decade now. Like I remember two thousand seven, listening to Buzz Out Loud, you know, I'd see that. Like that was one of the first major podcasts that were out there. Uh, but now these days, it seems like everyone is making one, but they only have the idea for it. Yes. You know, like there's there's not a lot of follow through as to what this thing is. And so I, I, again, I think that that's. That's an important point is to have not just that idea, but other ideas in case it doesn't work out where you can pivot and, and try something else or it'll just help you think about. I, I think my big thing is uh, there's a book by Cal Newport. It's called Deep Work. And his case studies are laughably bad. So I mean, like if you have to, I mean, it, in his defense, he wrote it in like 2012 and it came out in 2013. So there's a couple of things that you hear him saying, you're like, <laughs> that's not how that happened. Uh, but the point of the book is just that he stops and he he's an advocate of just deep thinking, which is, you know, putting aside a block of time every day, uh, uh, just you focus on one thing. Yeah. And I think sometimes we're so quick to fire out the ideas that we don't stop and focus on that one thing, which would be really helpful. So like, if you have that list of things that a podcast could be, uh, it's one thing to have the idea, but it's another thing to just stop and think about it for a little bit. Absolutely. Um, what do you think? Um, the, there's a. It's become a lot more popular term uh, recently. Um, I first heard it probably about four or five years ago, and that was "kill your babies." Yeah. Um, so Stephen King has the. I, I think it's. I think he's called as "kill your darlings," uh, and that's that's a, that's definitely like a writer's thing of uh, cut and cut again and then cut until you can't cut anymore. Uh, I'm not. I think in terms of idea generation, you should have more as much as you can possibly get, uh, because you never know. Like if you if you cut something off, and then years later you you kind of kick yourself because you're like, oh, that would have been awesome. Uh, so I mean, yes, it's one thing to you know in terms of time management to focus on one thing at a time. Like I'm like that right now. I have uh, the ghostwriting book, a Christmas Carol, and then there's a comic book pitch that I'm doing with this other writer, uh, and even though I've got a list of other things that I want to do, like those are the only three things that I work on. Yeah. Uh, but I'm not, so I, you know, I push back a little bit against killing your darlings because I think it, it helps to have a repository of all these different things. Like I have a notebook over here that's filled with like sci-fi stories and all these other things that I would love to get to someday. Um, <laughs> I, I haven't thrown them out, but at the same time, I'm just, I think, you just have to manage your time. As long as you can manage your time, you can keep your babies. If you can't manage your time, that's when I think you really have to just like focus on one thing. Well, um, I, I think somewhat the same, but every once in a while I'll kill it, but I'll leave it there. Right. <laughs> so, and just maybe someday I'll come back to it. Like we've got digital storage now, so I'll just keep it there. I don't need to worry about backup drives or anything like that. So, yeah. oh, so I'll give you an example, like the privacy book is a good example of something that should have come out sooner. Uh, and then by the time it came out, every like it's not that, it, it's by the time it came out, everyone kind of already knew 
what the issue was. <laughs> so it was so it's like, okay, this is useful, but you're not telling me anything I don't already like, yo, the New York Times has already been covered. Oh. Yeah, so, well, maybe the the top tier, but ha having worked in technology for so long, I think you could write a follow up just yeah, on sure. Facebook alone for the last four months. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, so that, I that's still the flip don't side. know. <laughs> uh, that's the flip side to it. Is after it came out, I was like, man, if I could have wrote about Cambridge Analytica, that's because that's something I had known about since 2015. Like for do you, I don't know. You've probably heard the term given what you work on career-wise uh you remember the term growth hacking yeah okay you remember when growth hacking was a thing for like three years yeah uh 2014 and 2017 that's all Cambridge Analytica was doing was the same thing every other developer was doing uh they just happened to be like this nefariously evil <laughs> company that was doing things but they weren't doing anything different from like thousands of different developers were doing with Facebook and LinkedIn and all that uh so yeah I mean yeah it's certainly true that I wish that I could have done that but at the same time it's all about timing too like social media's bullshit was too was ahead of the it, it was too early mm -hmm. you know I, that's you know we're talking about timing like the book came out and it did okay but had it come out now it would have been like a bestseller yeah because i think people would have been like they were ready for it revised like, revised but, edition <laughs> yeah i guess so i get that a lot um where i struggle with doing a revised version of it is that the privacy book already reads like the sequel. So if you read the two together, then it's already like I kind of did it. The other thing is I, you know, I don't want to keep writing marketing books. You know? well, then you got to take the uh, the back to the future method and go with the trilogy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, there is actually, uh, I've talked about doing something called planet, uh, planet bullshit. Uh, and so instead of just like social media is bullshit and private, it would do like all the tech stuff. It would talk about virtual reality and artificial intelligence because I'm, I'm a big VR nerd uh, and, and augmented reality. I just sort of and robotics and talk about like all these different things and then and explain why like Skynet isn't something we're going to see for like 500 years. <laughs> I think people don't realize, you know, it's scary when they, when they hear about artificial intelligence, but they don't know things like garbage in, garbage out, which is something a lot of data scientists usually if you talk to any data scientist, that's usually like the second thing they tell you. The first thing is our official intelligence just refers to stuff that hasn't been invented yet. Yes. I like that's been like the running joke. Uh, so yeah, so I've been thinking about, all right, well, instead of just doing social media, maybe there's a way to do social media and privacy and robotics and, and all that stuff in one place. Yeah. That that would be pretty cool because there there's a lot of crazy technologies and uh, I I really feel you on being ahead of the the curve on a lot of things because I've had so many times where I could not get people to buy into an idea or a right. concept and then five years later they're like all over it and yeah. spending millions of dollars right. and companies everywhere are doing it and like one of the recent ones you know everybody's been all <clears throat> um, uh, about the fake videos and you know. It's it's so good people can make a fake video and a fake photo. I'm like, I wrote an article in 2015 on Medium about that. Like it was right. possible then. Like yeah. now it's just rather than a still, it's moving. <laughs> yeah, it's it's true. Uh, the best example I can give of this is uh, so I've been up until about uh, 2017, I was traveling all over the place giving presentations, uh, and what I found was when I first came out in 2012, and they introduced me and they said social media is bullshit. Uh, you can kind of feel everyone tense up a bit. <laughs> and then in 2017, when they're like, oh, BJ, he wrote social media's bullshit, laughter. 
like the entire audience is just laughing. So yeah, I know exactly. I think we, I think we all know. Sometimes you just get this great idea, and it's just, yeah, the timing doesn't work out. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I figured out in my years, life doesn't give a crap what you want, what you have right. planned. It will take you where it wants to. <laughs> exactly. What's uh, my favorite poem by Stephen Crane? Some man said to the universe. Uh, the man says to the universe, I exist. And the universe says, so? <laughs> like, that, that, I'm paraphrasing, but yeah, yeah like, basically its response is like, and you want me to do what about this? Like, yeah. like, it doesn't matter. You're uh, here, yeah. everyone's here. What about yeah. it? Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's all good. It doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's actually, um, I don't know if anyone has seen it, but it's called um, The Bill Murray Mystery. Or it's... The book is called The Dow of Bill Murray, but I don't know what the Netflix documentary is called. Uh, it's it's just, Bill, uh, Bill Murray stories? Yeah, it's a collection of like all the stories and what they get to halfway through the film uh, is they're like, well, the whole point of this is that Bill Murray's philosophy is it doesn't matter. Yeah, like he's very zen about it. He's just like, this is fun. I'm showing up at your house and doing the dishes at a party because it's fun because you're going to remember that. So that's that's sort of like my own mentality. Yeah, that's uh, kind of why I love doing magic for, for people right. is because th there's a lot of crap these days and a lot of people are in really bad mind frames. And to be able to just, you know, throw something out for somebody and be like, here, can I show you something quick? And, and just yeah. leave them stunned and in that moment of wonder to take their mind off of whatever is happening is just it, – it's. So, such an amazing thing. And I think if you have the power to do that, like if I was in Bill Murray's position and that rich, I would just fly all over the world and just show up right. and things. Like, that'd be so awesome. That's my plan. That's my, uh, my, my, I don't want fame. Like I don't, I don't want anything that goes with that, but I would love to be notorious enough where if I stood on the street corner blowing bubbles, like people would stop and be like, what is going on right now? Just to vanish, and I never explain it. It's just something that I have. Like that's sort of my goal in life is is to get to that level where I can mess with people. Absolutely. Um, back when I was in film and TV, um, just because I loved it so much, I would always go. Like producers would be like, "I need another PA for the weekend. You want to come out?" I'm like, "Hell yeah!" <laughs> like, right. And then people would recognize me, and they're like, "Aren't aren't you the IT manager?" <laughs> I'm like, yeah. And they're like what are you doing as a PA here? I'm like, it's fun. Like, exactly. You just get to hang out and watch people shoot stuff and you get to meet some people. And like, right. That's the mentality. That's the mentality I advocate everyone has. So, I mean, it ties all back into the other books because you talk about timing. Yeah. But I don't kick myself about it being early or the privacy book being too late because to me it doesn't matter. Like, it, it matters that it's out, that people read it, that they that they enjoyed it, they learned something. That's That's all that really matters to me. Absolutely. And, and the fact that you can't go back and change the release date, you, like, right. Yeah. You have no control over it. Like, especially with a traditional publishing process, they sat on that book for like a year uh, before, wow. because there's only two release windows for books. Uh, there's, there's the fall and then the spring. And then that's sort of it for, for the big releases. And so I had just missed the spring release. And so they, they sat on it like forever. So, you know, that's the thing with any big production is that after a certain point, you just have to let it go and, and not care. And I was talking about that with, uh, so I'm co-writing that comic book, and he's like, so this goes to an agent, and then what happens? And I said, 
you just move on to the next thing, man. <laughs> like you just because once it goes to the agent, it might be like six months before you hear from them and they're ready to sell it. Like you, you just don't have any control. Yeah, absolutely. And just keep doing what you love doing, and right. and don't worry about what other people are doing. And oh damn, I was just about to say something on that too, and it just went. Oh yeah, the the whole don't worry concept. Um, one of my favorite quotes of all time that really helped me with the the whole worrying thing is uh, about anything. Anytime I start getting stressed out or for something to start worrying, I just think rocking chair because the whole a wor wor worrying is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it gets you absolutely nowhere. It's just like right. that's right. Like that that's all you're doing is causing yourself stress. So it, it took a number of years to kind of relieve myself of that, to, to, to get over that and learn how to take a breath, yep. move on, just keep, keep moving forward. What should yeah, what I, would I use I, that from? <laughs> keep moving forward. Keep moving forward. Uh, it's, it means used a lot. I think about the Rocky, Rocky six, he's got the whole monologue. Uh, about, <laughs> yeah. yeah, like that's the, that's the one I think most people think of, but it's it's a it's an ongoing theme. Uh, like even Ratatouille, it's a, it's an ongoing theme where uh, they said, "Well, what do you do now?" And he says, "With luck, uh, I'll go forward." Or just it's you know something along those lines. But yeah, it's it's a common refrain. I found that CBT is also very helpful yeah. in dealing with uh, dealing with uh, any sort of failure because I think it's very easy, especially now with social media specifically Instagram, where you you can see people having success. And it's very easy to, to have that put you in a negative state. And I found that's where CBT is very helpful because uh, you can identify any sort of thought pattern where you know, you're like forecasting and going, oh, I'll never be that so-and-so, or I'll never be that rich and famous. And uh, you don't know that. You're just, you're just forecasting. And so, th right. so through things like CBT, you're able to identify and label those thoughts and uh, and be a bit more productive than just kind of wallowing in them. Absolutely. And and that's always the thing when I talk about failure to, to anybody. It's just like you, you can't get in that mindset because your mindset, you don't want to hear it. You, you're going to say I'm full of shit, but your mindset determines where you're going. Because if you think you can't, whether you think you can or you can't, you're right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's what's the uh, the Wayne Gretzky quote that's often abused. Uh, but it's like you miss 100% of the shots you don't you take. Don't take. Yeah. Uh, and I, yo, did the office ruin that quote for me because it's it's on the whiteboard and then it, it said like Wayne Gretzky is crossed out and it says Michael Scott. <laughs> so I, it's impossible for me to think about that quote without picturing like the whiteboard from their office uh, and, and Steve Carell sitting there with that stupid grin on his face. <laughs> so is it... We, we all do it, like, even though we know we shouldn't do it and we shouldn't think like that. Do you have anything that you do when you kind of get into those mind states to, to kind of get yourself back on track again? Yeah, I found reading biographies of people that I like helps me kind of recenter. Uh, just recently, I was going through a rough patch, and so I got on my desk, that's what I'm looking at, uh, the George Carlin biography, last words. Uh, and what you find in reading his story is as good as he is at what he does, there are at least six instances where luck played a factor. Mm -hmm. And you know, had he not been at this one place performing, then he wouldn't have been introduced to Lenny Bruce. And if he hadn't been introduced to Lenny Bruce, then no one would know who he is. Or after he moved to Los Angeles uh, with his comedy partner, Jack Burns, they got robbed. 
uh, and they were out of money. Yeah. And so it just so happened that the morning news team at another LA station at a radio station had been fired that morning. So when Carlin and Burns went in to apply for the job, uh, the station manager had a job for them. You know, like, so there's a lot of stuff like that in his story where you're like, uh, I can't, I mean, look at everything this guy went on to do, but there's so much luck that, that plays a factor in it. So I found, mm-hmm. you know, reading that or reading uh, the David Itzkoff, uh, Robin Williams biography was also really good because to me, it's like it, just being able to deconstruct how successful people got to where they are and realizing that it wasn't, you know, I used to think that what George Carlin did was magic. I thought yeah. when I was little, he would go on stage and just talk. <laughs> like I didn't realize that there was like a solid two years of him on the road in front of like these shitty crowds in like the middle of nowhere in the United States, uh, just working on the material and editing it and tuning it and pitching it and crafting it. Uh, and so that that's what helps me. Like just realizing the amount of work that, or just Robin Williams when he was young, you know, he, he was alone a lot. So all those crazy voices that, that you see him do in those interviews and on, in the movies, those aren't off the top of his head. Like he's had them since he was a child because uh, that's how he used to entertain himself. Yeah. And so like be just understanding the, the process that takes time. So you know, this all ties together, uh, I think is what helps me when, when stuff doesn't work out. I love that analogy. And I think uh, um, a lot of people would resonate with that with um, actors as well. Cause you'll see right. the, the big actor who's the big actor right now. And people have never heard of him before, but you go and you're like, wait a minute, he looks familiar. And you go back and you've been seeing him for like 10, 15 years as little bit players right. in different movies. Like you think he's just superstar and like, Oh, he was walking down the street and Hollywood's like, you're the man, you're going to be rich, and you are now Captain America or, you know, some some big superhero. On, on he's a good example. Like, he's, yeah, actually, yeah. He's a very good example. He, you know, he was the, he's one of the evil ex-boyfriends in Scott Pilgrim. Yeah. Uh, he, he's the <laughs> human torch. Uh, <laughs> but he, Chris Evans was in a lot of movies before he, you know, he was cast as Captain America. Absolutely. And yeah, that's, I, I think that's a, a very great example. And um, my favorite question that I, that I like to close with, if you could give any advice to anybody that's uh, getting started in, in writing or wants to write a book or write a comic book, what, what would you tell them? Well, so this, this is, um, I'm a big, I'm a big believer in what's called um, the transfer of knowledge. And so uh, this, this will take a little setting up. So let me, so hang with me. Uh, okay, so in the United States back in the end of the 1800s, there's a lawsuit uh, between Yale University and its board of trustees. And the board of trustees, tell me this sounds familiar, were like, hey, you should stop teaching the classics uh, and you should teach the kids stuff they need to get a job right now, uh, which is an ongoing thing that, that happens to you today in the United States. Uh, and so it goes all the way to the Supreme Court and basically Yale wins, the college wins and the college goes, we believe that if we teach you the classics, the understanding and knowledge that you take, it's not learning Homer is going to make you a genius. It's not that we're saying that. It's the understanding how everything works and where everything came from and understanding the framework behind all that. You can transfer that knowledge to any field that you want. Yeah. And that's what, Yale, that's what Yale University said. So it doesn't matter like the advice I'm going to give you. It, it could be writing. It could be marketing. It could be anything. It, and so th- the trick is just to completely understand the field that you're going to go into. And, and people don't do that. Like, you know, podcasting is a great example where they go, 
oh shit, I gotta pay for hosting and what's Libsyn and you know, like what's Audacity and how does that work? And they just go, I'm gonna do a podcast. Like they don't stop and think about all these things. So if you want to be good at anything, part one is you have to learn the history of it. Like you have to just understand where everything came from. And then part two is to just read as much as you can currently about that particular field. Like there, uh, I can't remember his name, but I, I want to say it's the guy who developed Ruby on Rails, but it might it might not be. Where he was not a programmer. Uh, one, of the, one of the major computing languages that are out there, like he was not a computer program by, by trade. But what he did was he was like, I need to find a job and I need to be employed. So I'm going to lock myself in a room for like a month. And that this is all I'm going to study and research is computer programming. And I, I want to say it's Ruby on Rails, but don't hold me to that. Uh, but that's where the programming language came from, was this one guy just understanding everything there is uh, and having that breadth of knowledge of other experiences and being able to connect that to this new material. So like going back to the Yale example, it, it's not just knowing the material, but it's because you have all these different frames of reference, you're able to kind of put things together in a way that other people can't. I think that's sort of the third thing. And that's what George Carlin talked a lot about. He said, you know, people fear aging, but he didn't fear aging because <laughs> as he got older, he was able to connect all these things that he hadn't been able to connect before. So those yeah. those three things are, are sort of the advice that we give uh, to anyone if you want to be really good at anything. Absolutely. And I, I love that. Like that's, that's, that's a great example. And I think it's a, a great way, great way to end things off. Uh, thank you so much again for coming on the show. It has been amazing talking to you. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me. I hope, uh, I hope this was good. It was, it absolutely was. And for those of you uh, watching and listening at home, we will see you again next month. Thanks for tuning in.